Welcome to the Biz and Mayhem podcast, where we talk about the mayhem in our lives and how to get ahead in business and your career. This is Chris Batchelor, and I'm here with my co-host, Tara Parker. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Biz and Mayhem podcast. How's it going, Tara? Pretty good, Chris. How about you? I'm doing good. Let's head right into the newsroom. Let's do it. This is the newsroom. You've got a, something on the COVID out there that I see, which I thought was going to die out almost. It, it looked like with all the racism and things of that nature going around, nooses and everything else, it looked like COVID was going to be put on the back burner. But here it is boiling over again. What's yeah, going I mean, on so COVID continues to be in the news. Of course, here in Kansas, our uh, our governor has come out and mandated that masks be worn in public. Um, this is an article about COVID-19 and what the data tells us. Um, and, you know, it starts out with the punchline. We got it wrong and now we're largely tracking it wrong. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and you can take statistics and slice them just about any way you want to get whatever story you want. And that's the dangerous thing about them, right? Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I've done some reading on these testing things and that's where this is all coming from is new cases coming in and if old infections are being reported as new cases. And you do have to wonder about the processes for testing, how long the tests take, how long it takes to get those reported at the official level. So there's a lot of background information that we don't get to be exposed to. And so the media outlets are forcing, force feeding this information to us that there's been X amount of cases today and there were X amount of cases yesterday. And it really is inflating some of the data that's, that's being spun out there. Of course, then you get social media and all the, you know, the, the newly named experts of the fashion trend that's occurring. And it's, everybody's (laughs) a a statistician now, right? Like everybody's an expert on the numbers. Well, there's so much changing in official careers. I mean, people are going from social justice warriors to racism attorneys to, you know, now they're biologists and chemists and everybody's an expert in everything because they saw one article in one place and nothing, I can't find the same article twice, to be honest with you about anything. So there's just so much opinion out there. And that's the promise. Opinion isn't fact. It's, it's barely a truth at that. Yeah, there certainly has been a lot of uh, conjecture out there and and a lot of so-called experts and, uh, you know, not a lot of uh, people backing up their numbers with, you know, actual studies and facts. Uh, But this guy that wrote this article actually is a is it looks to be a pretty reputable numbers person. Uh, And, uh, you know, he basically goes through a lot of the data. Um, He claims to be a retired data and analytics leader who managed modeling teams at the highest levels for Amazon. Um, yeah. so it's obvious that, uh, he's got some experience in, in, you know, in the field of, of data and analytics, um, you know, but he basically goes on to say here that it's much less fatal than they originally thought. Right. Um, and that some of the metrics that we're using to track COVID, um, are potentially, um, wrong. You know, they're, they're giving us the wrong story. Um, now that's not to diminish the seriousness of this disease because there are people that are dying from it. Um, and it's not a very pleasant death from everything we've seen. So, um, you know, but it does, uh, it does, this article does go in and say, you know, hey, are we really thinking about this thing the right way? Yeah, I agree. It's, or, or, or how, how is the information being released and what's the timeline and whose timeline is it on? And right. It's, 
you know, the last few years, we've seen the media try to push the flu as something to be worried about between, you know, warning us with their their doctors and experts saying you need to get your flu shot. You have to get your flu shot. Millions have been infected and hundreds of thousands are dying, if not millions. And, you know, as a society, we're, we're kind of accustomed to the flu and it's a right. sad thing and mm-hmm. it happens and it's, we have the flu season and we have the flu shot and, you know, it's a personal choice to get that, that type of vaccination. But, you know, you take the, the media couldn't get it to explode. They couldn't get it to get, they couldn't get any sexy behind it. Right. And they've yeah. got this new virus that, they, I, in my opinion, they've really truly exploited it, and it's so hard now to get hardcore data on anything in a real timeline. Um, in addition to this, I also saw something I was just reading last night. I'd seen this article, and I saw another one that was kind of connected to it that said um, it was a study that came out that originally said face masks are the way to prevent COVID. It's the way to protect yourself and others around you. And mm-hmm. then a short time later, that same team said, hold on official place that, that I can't remember all the names to it. And I need to find the, the, the link to that article, but they said, we want to retract our study. We actually found several flaws in our own work. So it can't be replicated. And that's the thing about studies in order to be considered hardcore evidence, they have to be replicated to almost identical results by a completely different unbiased team. And this team already said, we, we can't have this replicated. You won't be able to, because we aired in it in so many different places, not saying that masks aren't important, we're just saying that we can't prove what we thought we could prove. Yeah. And, and to me, what's um, kind of troubling is we, we're trying to put these one size fits all, you know, solutions for, yeah. you know, a very wide uh, set of circumstances and a very wide, you know, set of the population. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not what's good for one is good for all. Yeah. Um, well, and I think I, our doctor's offices know that I was in a doctor's office yesterday and I saw two places, at least two places that caught my specific attention where it talked about how to prevent the spread of disease specific to COVID-19, not one place on those flyers mentioned wearing a face mask. The only thing right. it said is when you are coughing or sneezing and that's projectiling your, your germs into the air, cover it. Otherwise mm-hmm. keep your hands washed, keep your stations clean, try to stay away from people that appear to be sick. Don't assume they had COVID just because it, when you compromise your immune system, you are more susceptible to other illnesses and that includes COVID. But the, I mean, the doctor's office handed me a mask, but they never told me I had to wear it. They never right. had anything posted anywhere I had to wear it. So you kind of have to wonder, is there some passive aggressive language going on there with our providers who are skilled and trained in not only clean, cleanliness, but sterilized environments? Yeah. And so, to me, I think that the most damage that's being done here is the news organizations are becoming less and less reputable mm-hmm. and and now everybody you know is like i don't know what to believe because they say this and then they say that and um, and you don't know who to trust right and right. you just people it's really comforting to be able to go to a news source and go okay this is a news source that is you know fairly unbiased i can trust mm-hmm. what it says it's accurate i don't have to go and fact check everything they say it doesn't have some slant that's liberal or conservative they're just kind of let giving you the facts and letting you decide for yourself well that's uh, the but, thing is the fact checking that's people want to be given this information from from sources they consider credible like their friends on facebook and so they take you know sally from you know their Facebook feed and they see that she posted something. Well, I know Sally, I like Sally and I trust Sally. She wouldn't post anything that was wrong and and that wasn't right. So I'm going to repost this as, you know, a fact when it's not necessarily so. And so it's fact checking is, it's getting to be a lost art. 
when it's it, it is and it's, it's exhausting talent. it is totally exhausting when you read something in the news and you're like okay let me go make sure that's right because that <laughs> right. seems pretty crazy right um i mean who has time for that you know and i, I think a lot of people are just turning off to the news now mm-hmm. i did um, i I, in, have, in, I find it online but i don't watch it on the tv yeah I, I don't watch tv on the news really i mean i'll cruise through the online websites but um, other than that, I mean, I might watch a clip here or there that's posted online, but, uh, you know, the, the days of watching the nightly news at 5 PM, are, I think are a lost, oh. lost thing for many families. Oh, I'm sure they're seeing a drop in rings. The, cause I'm, we might be hearing the, the louder mouths out there with their opinions, but it's that quiet, silent majority that just sits there and waits for everybody else to quit throwing their temper tantrum. And yeah. then they, they make their they make their, their messages and opinions known through other means. And so it's, I, you know, I think we've said in past episodes and you specifically, Chris, that um, the media is going to have to be held accountable. They're going to have to answer for some of the things they've done. And I think with what's going on, we may not be too far from that. I don't know, but yeah, sooner or later they're going to get regulated and they're not going to like it. Nope. And that's that's, too bad. (laughs) That's in the future. Yep. All right. So it. next up, I, I didn't know that you were a NASCAR fan. I'm not. But, uh, you are, you <laughs> not got Bubba NASCAR. Wallace on here, and I, I you know, Wallace I mean, I like watching race cars and stuff. I, I really, he's not one of the ones that I had ever heard of. I had to go look him up. I did too. I saw this. Um, you know, I go through my Facebook feed, and I saw something about a noose and a black NASCAR driver, and I thought, well, I've not heard of a black NASCAR driver. That's cool. And I mean, I don't know how many people even play in NASCAR. What they do in NASCAR, they 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 race a car around a track. So I've never <laughs> it's, really it's been, a little more to it's it than a, that, but it's, it's a okay. left turn all the time. Go, just, go fast, turn left. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw this and I thought, you know, this is kind of interesting because the first thing I thought of when I saw the headline um, and the headline um, for the article that I brought in was Bubba Wallace received rope in garage wasn't targeted at him. And it's about this rope that was tied up and it's tied up into a noose. No matter how you look at it, it does look like a noose for you, not Mm -hmm. experts out there. You will clearly point out that there's not enough loops around the noose to actually categorize it as an official noose, like they used in the the old hangings. Um, And so I thought, well, this is kind of weird. And instantly and sadly, it made me think of the um, Jesse Smollett case. Right. And I thought, you know, this is awfully odd timing. And so I read the article. And I thought, oh, man, maybe this is a thing. I I, I got to believe it's got to be some sort of stupid guy's practical joke. Because guys do take practical jokes too far. Oh, yeah. I mean, and yeah. girls do, but in a really weird way. But um, so I, I read the article and, you know, things were starting to look legit. They brought the FBI in. NASCAR was starting to really investigate. And this is right after he Bubba Wallace was successful in demanding that NASCAR take down Confederate flags. And uh-huh. so you, you kind of thought, well, this is kind of all going together. And then the FBI did their investigation and came back with that news has been there since the fall of last year. This is not a Oops. new thing. This is not targeted at anybody who ever put that up there. It's the, it's the rope that they use to pull down the garage door at the Talladega um, venue that they race at. Yeah. If you've ever been to those garages and seen them in person, those, garage doors go up pretty high. Uh, and so you need a rope on the end of it so you can pull it and pull the door down because they don't have an automatic yeah. door opener there. So, um, you know, and, and I think it's really common to, you know, tie a loop in the end of it so you can grab onto it and pull it down. I think right. That makes sense. It gives you more leverage that way. Right. Instead of trying to grab on, get a handful of rope and pull it down. So, I mean, I don't know what all their, I don't know what all the standards are for a, a NASCAR garage, but 
um, the, net, the FBI said, no, there's picture evidence that that noose, and it is a noose, no matter how you spin it, it's a noose, but it wasn't targeted at, at Bubba Wallace. Nobody noticed it until this whole racism thing flourished out of control. Yeah. So you got to wonder, do you, if you are looking for evil, do you, do you find it? Do you, is there selectiveness going on here because of the trending media stories? But no, Bubba yeah. came back and said, look, straight up, it's a noose. And, and seeing his rebuttal to the FBI investigation, you kind of see, you can you can kind of read it as, uh-uh, this is a, a racist thing. Now, he's not trying to say it. He's like, straight up, that's a noose. That is a noose. And it was in my garage. It's like, what, what are you what are you trying to say? Like, you've right. got some, what's the hidden message here? Because you're not being clear, not as clear as you think. Well, I, I think is, uh, I mean, it, first of all, it's it's important to distinguish between a noose and a loop and a rope. I mean, because, uh, <laughs> you know, in a noose, it has a very specific purpose. And as you pull down on it, it has to get tighter. So right. <laughs> for this rope to work as a pull for this garage door, it has to, by definition, not be a noose because that would be a pain in the butt. <laughs> Every time you pull this garage door down, this rope would tighten on your hand, right? Right. So there's so uh, many loops around it. But as I think I was listening to Ben Shapiro address this as well on his show, um, there's not enough loops to make it an actual noose by well, appearance. I mean, te technicalities, right? I right. Mean, but that's like, I mean, a common way to tie that sort of rope is to, you know, I think people like to get a little fancy with it. And, and yeah, you know, I guess, but it's a good conversation right because you know somebody can interpret something one way and somebody else can through a different lens interpret it completely differently yeah. so um I, but i think it's important to also point out unlike the smaller case he didn't i don't think he went there in the middle of the night and tied this rope and then said oh there's a noose in my garage because right. that's if it was identical to that case then that's what would happen yeah no the, the there was um photographic evidence from back and i think it was fall I'm going to say September or October was the month that I had seen associated with the article that this noose was there at that point in time. Yeah. And so it wasn't something that anybody went in there and tied up to attract attention to this lone black NASCAR driver. It just happened to be that we are in this season of, of this racism conversation and Oh, look who the hell tied the noose up there. Yeah, you know, not realizing because I'm sure before nobody recognized it as a noose. It's just the pull down for the garage door, and yeah. and Bubba Wallace probably never pulled down his own garage door to his NASCAR garage. I'm, I'm willing yeah, to bet um, he doesn't have to do that sort of thing. I'm guessing he gets in the car and drives, and that's right. you know. <laughs> he's he's not focused on getting that garage door shut. He's focused on winning. Which, by the way, he's not. I had seen a lot of people criticizing him as as you can expect. And then the big thing is that, you know, this is a hoax and he did this on purpose because he's not that good. He, he doesn't come in any better well, than fifth place is the best he's done. And I don't know a lot about NASCAR ratings. Fifth might be terrific. I don't know. But all of his other ratings are in the double digits. And so there are some, I'm assuming NASCAR fans that are like, nope, he's terrible. This is his way of boosting himself up there and. And yeah, so, who knows if this is his way to get 15 minutes of fame or, you know, try and get some more standing in the media. But yeah. I mean, at NASCAR, it's very competitive. It's, it is a professional sport. There is very big money in it. Um, there are teams that own multiple different cars, you know, yeah. um, and, and drivers do work for different teams. And, 
Um, there are, you know, closely held secrets between the teams of, you know, they do this or that to make the cars just a little faster because, right. um, you know, the, the competition really is so close because the design of the car uh, is really so close from team to team. So there's not a big competitive advantage because one person has more horsepower than the other, right? They're all making about the same. So right. uh, it comes down to skill and a little bit of luck and how well they tune the car and, you know, lots of little things uh, add up to, to make a win in NASCAR. Uh, and so, yeah, who, who knows? And it, you can have a great driver and a terrible pit team and still not do very good. So yeah, that's true, um, but I don't know. That's crazy, crazy thing. I don't know how much it, I, I think it's starting to die down. I don't know because COVID blew up again. So it could come back up. I don't know. It's good times. Yeah. <laughs> good times. All right. And you're, you're all over the sports this week. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't you, you're just the sports junkie this week. I <laughs> mean, well, some of these things catch my attention. So you got, if I'm pulling up sports and I mean, I can follow sports and I enjoy watching them, but I don't follow stats. I don't follow teams. Um, you know, I just kind of go with the flow and, you know, I like the local teams cause it's, you know, support local businesses, right? Kansas city yeah. chiefs and all that. So, but this particular case caught my attention because Brett Favre, who's considered, uh, you know, I think he played for green Bay Packers, I think. Yeah. No, yep. this is where you jump in here. Right. Cause I'm a stereotype. I think that sounds right, but <laughs> it might be, I need to yeah, open up. The, I, uh, I follow the saints. So if it's so, not on the saints, you lost me. <laughs> well, from um, so Brett Favre had at some point in the last couple of weeks compared, um, oh, Colin Kaepernick, who we all know is the, you know, he's Nike's um, new face. You know, if you stand for something, even if it means losing everything, you know, he was the one who started the whole, I'm going to kneel down during the national anthem for police brutality against black people. Keeping in mind, he's half black and half white. For some reason, Brett Favre had made a comment that compared what Colin Kaepernick did against what Pat Tillman did. Now, Pat Tillman is a formal, er, former Arizona Cardinals safety, and he left his football career, and he's very good, to join the Army, which he became um, an Army Ranger. So that's top of the top, best of the best. We're talking like Top Gun Army style. And he was killed in action. So he literally left his his lavish career of football and glory, and he made the ultimate sacrifice. And and due to having lost some friends and family um, in the military, specifically to Iraqi war, um, this is near and dear to my heart. I really have a lot of respect for people who will make that sacrifice because I'm too much of a coward to go fight in the military. I am. There's just, I can't do it. I know what Not I mean. <laughs> so I'm, I'll sit back and I'll be a really nice patriot, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, so Pat Tillman, in my mind, is a hero. And I don't throw that term around lightly. I don't see athletes as heroes. I think that's a, a loosely used version of the term hero, but Pat Tillman in my mind really is. And so this is all my opinion and you're welcome to disagree at any time. Anybody can, but to compare a guy who kneels down during a national anthem in protest up against a guy that laid down his life for his country. I just, I can't get behind Brett Favre saying that, and now he's trying to say, I really didn't say that, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change a whole lot in what I said. Yeah. So, you know, the big, the big hubbub here is, you know, we're comparing an actual war hero who died, you know, defending our country mm -hmm. uh, to uh, a football player who started, um, you know, social activism and, and he caused started a struggle. He literally started a social war. 
Yeah, he did. I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting the context, right? Because of, uh, you know, the George Floyd, um, murder yeah. and, and now all of the attention that's going on that, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of injustices around the country. Um, uh, but the big, the big hubbub back with Colin Kaepernick was, you know, was it right to kneel, uh, during the national anthem or should they have, done something else to bring attention to that to that issue right right yeah that's there's another way to do it because kneeling to something that tillman died for or any army or any military soldier died for is just are you kidding i i can't get behind this but um it's it was a it was a tweet and i found the tweet and to quote brett Favre, um in where he tried to say he where he denies comparing the two he says including Pat Tillman's name in the interview on Colin Kaepernick was not a comparison of the two, but a recognition that they both sidelined their football dreams in pursuit of a cause. Pat tragically lost his life, making the ultimate sacrifice and deserves the highest honor. And so there's a little PR going on there in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the distinction here is that Pat Tillman willfully left his football career and Colin Kaepernick, sort of unwillfully left his football <laughs> his career because, you know, nobody wanted him after, right. after the well, controversy that he caused. Right. Exactly. He caused a problem and, uh, and Pat Tillman went to go be a part of the solution to a problem. Not, not everybody agrees with the solution that was chosen in terms of war, but war is a part of life. Right. That's all there's to it. It's going to happen, but man, uh, yeah, I I think the takeaway here is be careful what you say because people will blow, you know, take one thing and and extrapolate it to something else. Right. Yep. Yes, they will. And I, I, I tried to look at it as both ways and I know what he's trying to do, but use your words, words mean, and the, and the, and literally in the words of a good friend of mine, um, Jen, a former coworker of mine, words mean something. Yeah, they, they do. The The problem that I always had with Colin Kaepernick was I never saw him in the news doing something else besides kneeling. Yes. I mean, if, if you want to advocate for police brutality, then, you know, where were the press conferences? Where, where was the groups that he was working with? And maybe that happened and I just don't know about it, but no, where's the money. Um, there's, there's a few football players out there who are giving back to the inner city type environments that they came from, but where's the money for, making awareness for the police brutality that Kaepernick wanted to kneel down for. Where's there's a, there's a lot of movements that have caused a lot of hurt and pain and grief. Right. And that's all the media and the media is exploiting them too. Where's the positivity that comes from? Okay. Let's, let's take another look at this. Let's throw some money into researching this. Let's do something positive. Let's have a fundraiser, something instead of I'm going to, you know, get into my roots here and you guys have been holding me back and I'm a, from an oppressed people. And it's like, but you're also from white people. And so yeah, I, I did see a, I think a, it's un, unfair to hold that against him. I mean, cause he right. really didn't have any control of, you know, where he came from or grew up. I mean, you know, that just happens has, to all of us, but, but he, has control I mean, of his, his, he has control of his career. Yeah, he has control of his career, but you know, he, he can also, um, I mean, he also has the right to advocate for what he wants to advocate for. And, and I think that's yes. fantastic that he took up that cause The you know, like I said, I think the, the problem that I had with it was, you know, I saw him advocating in a way at a football game, but then off the field, I really didn't see the follow-up. And, and so to me, uh, that's just an empty promise and mm-hmm. trying to get some media attention if you're yeah. not following up. And, and like I said, I, I didn't really look very deeply at what we, he was doing and maybe he did do a lot of stuff off the field that I don't know about. And, and if he did great, you know, 
it's it, well the, the the media didn't exploit that for their for his purpose and i would like to think to, you know he's held press conferences but not in this not in that light that you're trying to shine and i wish he would have because that would make him a little more credible in my opinion but no he's um he i know that the most recent thing he was in the the press for aside from brett Favre using his name was he had invited a bunch of um, football teams to come watch him try out a specific date, specific time, like his own little tryout. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of narcissistic, isn't it? Hey, I'm going to play football. I'm so great. Come watch me. Cause well, I'm, you're going to want me on your team, you know? Yeah, it's, and I, I, I know he's been put in a bad position. I've seen some really ugly memes um, that say, Hey, apparently there is no white privilege because look at Kaepernick. He's half white. He's not trying to, if there's any white privilege, why not play into that white thing? And unfairly, he doesn't yeah. look white, though. And so I, I think that goes I mean, to the... I think anytime you bring race into this, you're just dividing people even more. I mean, to me, it's not a race thing. I, I think if you were a black guy or a white guy and you did what he did, you you would probably get the same result, right? I mean... There well, were, but he tried he, to make it about race. He was yeah, talking about I mean, police brutality against black people. So he he started... He flipped the race coin to begin with. Yeah, I mean you can you can do that, but I mean as you see, you're not going to get very far. I don't think. I mean, no, we I think, are, we we've seen where it's taken us in the same dreaded circle over and over and over again. I mean, you got to give him points, right? I mean, he is kind of creative. I mean, you know, if you lost your job and uh, you know needed to, we're out there fishing for a new one. I mean, that is kind of a unique way to uh, to go out a, and get people to come and look at you. You that's know, the way to do it. <laughs> oh no. A couple points for creativity there. There you well, if nothing else, there you go. It's time to work that career and lift and push and lift and push. You got it. Now harder. Lift and push. It's the career workout. So this week on uh, career workout, we've got how to avoid being a yes man. What's this all about? Well, um, I was having a conversation with um, a friend of mine or a coworker of mine, and we were talking about, you know, we're part of this organization and it's within our work and it's a volunteer one. And I made the comment, we've not been very active. We need to do something. We need to get the ball rolling. And the response was, I am so busy. And I thought, well, yeah, but why? Why are you? Well, I've got meetings. I have these obligations. I have those. And I thought, well, are all the meetings important? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, are, are all the meetings important? Do you have to be at every single one of them? She's like, well, I'm invited. Well, that <laughs> doesn't mean you need to be there. <laughs> this is true. And she said, well, what are you talking about? I said, I get invited to meetings all the time, but given the number of meeting, meeting invites I get, and I know that you get, Chris, um, there's no time to go to all of them and get your daily duties done or your projects completed. And so I, I've told this person, as I've told other people, I look at each meeting as what value can I gain from it and how, and what value can I add to it and how? So yeah. there's been several times I've looked at me and thought, I don't need to be part of this. I will email the organizer and say, Hey, what do you need from me here? Cause I don't have anything to offer based on what you provided to me. And they said, nothing. You're just on the list. I'm like, well, then I won't be there. It's right. very simple. Yeah. No, can you do it with every, t every time? No, but there's other times that I'll be told it's just a, it's just a distribution of information. I was like, well, why don't you send me the, the cliff notes and I'll get back to you if I have any questions. That works right. too. And so I thought, you know, we all become such yes men at work without realizing it because we're trying to please the masses at work. And I thought, you know, that's when you get to being a yes man, you forget about your own professional goals in the organization, which helps to make the organizational goals. Right. So I went looking for something specifically on not being a yes man. And so I looked at these tips and I thought, God, this is really great. These are, there's seven tips to this. Um, oh, this article I found on 
Pucker Mob, which I love the name Pucker Mob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a great name. <laughs> you just, I'll never get that out of my head. That'll, I'll, I'll be coming back to this website. Anyway, um, so you know, I'll run through the the tips real quick. No, no big deal. But the number one thing, and this is of course the the only way to you know remedy a problem is to recognize that there is a problem. How many times do you say yes? How often are you saying no? Do you you know do do you just flat out and say yes to people and just don't realize how often you're saying yes? Um, I know that's I don't have a problem with saying no and in explaining why I can't commit. Um, but not everybody that I work where I work at can do that. I hear a lot of yes men stuff go on and they when I question it, the response is, Well, I have to, it's my job. I'm like, well, maybe, or maybe you can get some teammate help. So Yeah. Um so the first one, tip here is recognize the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, so that, I think yeah, that's that's important. I mean, you can't you can't improve yourself if you don't know that you've got a problem, right? Right, right, right. And then the second one is think before you answer. And so this is really important. This is where being mindful comes into play. And being mindful is not necessarily being smart or intelligent. It's literally critically thinking about what you're doing uh, as much as you can throughout the day, which not all of us want to do because that's tiresome. But when somebody asks you a question, and usually it's going to be a closed-ended question, which means it's a yes or no, and you're a yes man, your automatic response will be yes. But you got to stop, slow down, and think about the decision you're giving them. If you say yes, why are you saying yes? Do you have value that you're saying? Does that is there value in that yes that you're giving them, or is it that you don't you can't say no? Right. And so that, and then there's a big difference there. It's one thing for your boss to say go take care of this. Okay, yeah, I can do that. Versus a teammate saying go take care of this. You know, it's or asking for help when you've given the answer yes. And so really think about the answer before you give it. Don't just mindlessly say yeah, I'll do it, and then realize wait, what did I just agree to? I think a a valuable thing that I learned a while back was that it's okay to have some dead space in between what somebody asks you (laughs) something and answering. Because I think, you know, we're just like, man, rapid fire question, answer, Mm -hmm. question, answer. It's a good point. It's it's totally cool to just take a couple seconds and go, yeah, all right. Or uh, I need some more time to think about that. That that little pause makes you be conscious about what you say. Yes. And to me, that was was a very helpful skill to learn. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a very good point. Um, The next point on the list is put yourself first. And this sounds selfish and people are being taught in other places, you know, to put yourself like third or fourth or last on the list of priorities. And I have disagreed with this for a long time. Putting yourself first doesn't make you selfish. It helps to realize where you can and can't expend yourself to. Um, If 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 you keep telling everybody, yes, you're going to spread yourself so thin, you won't be effective in anything. Yeah. And so really think about what, like I said, going, going back to the value of something that you add or the value you gain, what is that ratio look like? Um, and how does it help you? Is what you're doing going to help you get a project complete? Is it going to help you get noticed for your next, you know, promotion that you're looking for? Is it going to help you get, you know, a raise? What is it going to help you do? Um, that's, again, it's not to be selfish, but you don't want to take on mindless tasks. And if somebody has figured out, hey, there's a yes man, I'll get them to do a bunch more work and I'll yeah. take the credit for it. You put yourself in a vulnerable position to be used and exploited by your coworkers. And not to say that they all will, but there are those out there that are very smart and very observant and they're not yes men, but they find yep. the yes men. Yeah, there's a lot of people at work that'll find other people to do their jobs for them, right? And <laughs> yes, uh, they're very they skilled at that. And you know, I see this headline and, and in my head, I think, you know, uh, and next up on the codependent podcast, how to put yourself last. <laughs> yeah, 
that's good. Because I, I think there's a lot of us out there that just want to make everybody happy, right? And well, that's and, like, that's the codependent yeah. part of us at work. You know, we're just like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm going to make everybody happy. I'm everybody's my customer. You know, that's a really big thing now in corporate America is you, everybody's your, you know, you have yeah. customers, even internal customers and external customers and got to make all the customers happy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that leads mm -hmm. you into the, that kind of codependent relationship with everybody. Right. And it's not always healthy. There's, I think there's a certain balance to codependency, but being completely dependent upon others for your self-worth and self-values and even at work, especially at work, is not a good thing. Yeah. So. I, I mean, there's a balance there though, right? I mean, you yes. just can't go around telling everybody no. Right, uh, right. Because then you're on the opposite end of that spectrum. But there, there certainly is a balance there. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And then the fourth tip is look at the positive aspect of a no. What's so wrong with saying no? There really isn't anything, as long as you're being nice and respectful, don't go off and have an attitude with people at work and say no just for fun. But again, what do you gain? What do they gain? And is it so wrong to say no, just like the meetings I say no to? I don't need to be here. It's not a good use of my time. It's not a good use of your time to sit there and educate me on something that I can't do anything with that education. So what, So there's nothing wrong with saying no. People have seen it as a, you know, the customer's always right type of thing and you know, don't, don't turn people down. Don't turn business away. Don't turn business down. Don't turn your customers down. But there's times when no is the appropriate answer and it's yeah. the right answer. Um, and that really needs to be considered in your day-to-day -day functions at work and even in your personal life. It, it, it's applicable everywhere. Yeah. Which, yeah, certainly, certainly saying no can be um, beneficial sometimes, but again, there's a, there's a balance there. You can't, yeah. you can't say no every time. And there's some stuff in, especially in corporate America that you just have to do yeah. Even though you're like, well, this is stupid and it doesn't add any value, <laughs> but you still have to do it. Yeah. Uh, and that's just part of the the deal that you make when you get a paycheck from, right. from an employer is there's going to be some stuff that you have to do that you don't want to, that you're going to do just because. What's that sneaky clause in a job description and duties as assigned? Yeah. As assigned <laughs> and basically anything else we can come up with. Right. It's not an exhaustive, comprehensive list of your duties, but you will do as told. Yeah. And so moving on the list, just be honest. So this kind of is tying things back together. You know, it's one thing to be honest with other people, but being honest with yourself is the biggie there. So really knowing, do you really have the time? If you don't, are you managing your time properly to say yes to all these people, which obviously you're not if you're saying yes to everybody. Um, uh, and being honest with other people as to why you're saying yes or no. And just that whole thing, they actually gain so much more respect from people when they realize you know, you do have a reason for what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, but you got to, that, that starts with being honest with yourself first, in my opinion, and in, in my own experience. I don't know. I, hopefully that's true with you, Chris. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, do you have a little meter in your head? I mean, my, my meter is kind of calibrated of, uh, uh, in this kind of fashion, um, heck no <laughs> to yes, heck yes. Those are kind of the extremes. And then you have kind of the maybe in the middle. And then there's a yes and a no. And I think on the other side of that, I'm a you know, because uh, when somebody at work asked me to do something, what, what, what's yours? I'm curious um, to hear that. It's, it's, it's God, I don't, I, you know what? I, I don't know if I really have one. I know that it's not that simple, um, but I'm always, I'm very careful. If, if I don't know you, then there's no meter. And it's more of a, are you trying to take advantage of me type of thing? Or are you, where are you at in this versus somebody that I do know? And I could say, yeah, I can do that. That's not going to take much or no, I really don't have time for that. Do you, can we do this another time? And so 
I don't have yeah. the extremes because I'm, I'm, I, I conditioned myself and I work with people to help maintain that conditioning. But again, if I don't know, you know, I had somebody walk into my office this week that was like, I need blah, blah, blah thing. And I was like, uh-huh, sure you do. And then, you know, I approached it better than that. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I bet they want that. What else do they want? Like, <laughs> you're not going to come in here and slamming things down around like you own like it was it was it was their approach that put me on alert like we yeah i'm you don't own me stop that get out right yeah yeah i, I always go back to the and i want a golden <laughs> toilet too but i'm not getting that either so uh, you know for me i i like i said i have that meter and and uh you know if 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 it really pings me into the heck no side of it i'll i'll mm-hmm. reevaluate it um but if it's the you know, yes to heck, heck yes. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do there it for somebody, but, um, you know, you just, like you said, you got to build that honesty meter in yourself and that's really hard for some people. It's, it's something that you have to mm-hmm. do a lot of work on. Yeah, I agree. And then the sixth point on the list is don't be sorry. Now this is going to kind of jerk people around a little bit, I'm sure, because that's a, that's a pretty common word. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. You know, and so even in my household, my in, unless you have a reason for saying sorry, don't say it. And that's been a strict rule in my house for a number of years. And so I don't think anybody at work has heard me say sorry. I'd have to really stop and think it's not a word that comes out of my mouth very often. And it's not meant to be mean, but I'm not sorry for my opinions. And I'm not sorry if I can't handle something, but I can do something else for you instead. But that's one of the things that um, people will talk about at work and the people are seeing at work is, you're sorry for saying no. And you shouldn't be. If you're saying no and you know why, just express yourself that way versus sorry. No. Yeah, I I, I think there's a there's a way to let people down easily and then there's a way to be yes. a jerk about it too. And you know, I I don't necessarily know that you need to say sorry, but uh I think conditioning people for a no yeah. kind of helps sometimes. Um, or offering them an alternative to what they're requesting, uh, and then explaining why you can't do what right. they want to do. You know, I, I, I run into that a lot of times as an engineer. And, well, and there's know. no reason to be sorry, especially if you're asked for something. And this particular article mentions if you're asked for an opinion, and I've been asked for my opinion before. And if, if it's one I know that it, somebody's asked me one specific um, conversation, there was a back and forth, and somebody says, Do you think I'm being a jerk, Tara? And I thought, how do I answer this? They're like, just, and they gave me permission to answer honestly. And I thought, yeah, you're being a jerk. And I didn't apologize for it because they asked and I had the permission. It's like, yeah, in my opinion, you are. And this is why. And they thought, oh, okay, no, that, that makes sense. And I still want to be a jerk about it. I'm like, well, that's up to you. But so like I said, you don't have to be sorry if you have a means for saying what you're saying, doing what you're doing. Don't, like you said, don't be a jerk about it. Don't be mean about it. But just know know your why. That's a sign that cynic thing is know your why. That makes a big difference. Right. And the last one here is recognize that there is always a choice. Despite how they approach you, there is sometimes it's it's one of those, do you want to do this? It's more of a you're going to do this statement versus question. But usually there is always yeah. a choice. You, you do have to be careful with that. We have some sneaky bosses out there that make it sound like a choice when it's really not. But <laughs> the, they are they skilled, are skilled at, that. at that. So I thought these were really great tips. I, being a yes man is one surefire way to um, get you noticed at work, but noticed in the wrong way. You know, it's kind of like that. Give it to that old um, that old commercial, that old life cereal commercial. You know, give it to Mikey; he'll eat anything. And you know, give it to Tara; she'll do anything. So don't be that person. Don't do it. 
Well, and it's, it's mentally exhausting yeah. to try and please everybody, right? I mean, being a codependent is just mentally mm-hmm. exhausting, and you eventually burn out, uh, which isn't healthy for you. It's not a sustainable. No, it's model. not. It's not. And it's funny you mentioned uh, burnout because that was on the career failure side of things. That was something I actually found an article for was burnout and how to avoid it at work. Go you. You're all kinds of segueing stuff in here today. Career fail of the week. So this week on career fails, we have how to avoid burnout. What's this all about, Tara? We know there's a lot of people that are working from home. They're working at work still. And irregardless of either um, environment, you're going to get burned out one way or another, Um, especially if you're not used to working from home and all of the extra distractions that you're dealing with that you did not plan for when you took those first steps back into the homestead. And so this article goes into the different things you can do throughout the day um, and not just a day, but incorporate them regularly to avoid getting burned out and frustrated with your work. And you know, the very first one is follow a break schedule religiously. And I'm a very big proponent of taking uh, brain breaks or mental breaks or um, maybe not the cigarette break because I'm not a smoker, but some of you are and that's fine too. But you get into a flow of work and processes and forgetting to take a break or working through your lunch is just not okay. Or finding those five or 10 minutes to flip your brain to something else that's is not the same mental processes as whatever you're working on at work is super important to not feel like you're being, you know, stretched too thin or just kind of wearing yourself out. And so that's, um, you should always incorporate breaks, especially if you can time them out to certain parts of the day. So you can look forward to them and, you know, you know, your lunch break is going to be, I have my lunch break scheduled so people don't steal it from me. Um, they will do that and they have done that. So it's in my calendar. Um, and then I, I, it's, you can't really schedule those little five or 10 minute breaks, but at least working through some tasks and then deciding after this, I'm going to go take a break. Yeah. I think breaks are good for me. I, uh, I, I like breaks because if I'm doing a task, that's kind of boring and I don't, you know, it's easy to just stop doing it. Yeah. Uh, but if you have your break time scheduled, you can really push yourself to like, oh, I'm, I've only got 15 more minutes. I'm going to keep working on this. And then the flip side of that is, you know, when you get really focused on something, having a scheduled bake requires you to, you know, sort of stop your concentration, get that mental, mental break you need, and then go back at it. I think it helps you, um, you know, be more effective for a longer period of time. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, The second tip is listen to your mental chatter. And if you are a yogi, this makes sense to you. Um, This mental chatter is listening to your mind saying, stop. That's not so working. did you just say yogi? Yes. If, you're, like if you do yoga. Yogi the bear? I knew you were going to do that. Oh, <laughs> you know me too well. I knew. I was trying to trying to talk fast and push past that uh, point before I'm you caught remember. it. I'm trying to remember. He was big into picnic baskets, wasn't he? Was, he? he liked his picnic baskets, yes. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so yes, the, the yogis out there, those are the ones who do yoga on a regular basis. Which is kind of funny because I brought up Yogi the Bear and the title of this is Listen to Your Mental Chatter. So yes. you, know, you guys just got a preview of what doesn't come out of my mouth. Oh, well, yeah, we we're, I feel like things are going to get much less filtered around here. Hey, boo-boo, let's get up and make a basket. That's awesome. I can't focus. My mental chatter has gone down the toilet. It, it's, it is... It is gone. It's gone. We, we have COVID brain. We just had a break. There's, there you go. So listen to your mental chatter. Mental chatter. Even if it's about yogi bears. If, if Whatever your brain says, if it's time to stop, stop. If it's time and to take a next, break, yeah, move, move towards it. Like we're going to move on to the next tip. And the next one says change your language, which... 
kind of is intimidating to me because I speak English pretty good and then like <laughs> little bits and pieces of other languages, mostly revolving around ordering beer and going to the bathroom. Do you guys see what I put up even, with? You- even though I don't drink, which is kind <laughs> right. of the funniest thing, but yes. I can order a beer in Germany. Oh you my know. gosh. So this I, I will make an exception for that. What am I going to do with you? This change your language. This is something in my coaching with my clients, we focus on a lot of the language you tell yourself. Um, Dr. David Hamilton, and if you don't know who he is, look him up. He proved that the brain doesn't know fact from fiction, only what you tell it. So using mm. the words, I can't, um, the word no, which we've already touched base on quite a bit. I'm not getting anywhere. All those I statements that are um, not empowering or they're disempowering, your brain hears those and thinks, okay, then we can't do it. Um, but if what you think about, you bring about. So when you say, I can do it, I will do it. Or just simple little things like um, the I agree versus you're right concept. Um, I don't know. I've talked about it on the show very much, but that's one of those things. Instead of with some of my clients who have low self-confidence, I tell them, you know, when they, when they tell me you're right, Tara, and I, I'll remind them, I'm not right. Do you agree or do you disagree with what's been said? And those are just empowering word statements to help you make it through. Because that's part of burnout too, is that level of self-confidence of, I can't get through this. I can't do this anymore. It's just not, this is terrible. And this is horrible. And so watch your language closely because your brain will literally listen to what it's telling itself. Missy, watch your language. <laughs> you got then, the grandma, the you gra- know, image. <laughs> she's shaking her finger. You watch your language. Is, is this kind of the same uh, sort of concept of thinking positively? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right along those lines. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a good thing. It sounds kind of cheesy to some people and kind of dumb, but it does work. It really does. Ask all your successful people out there. They didn't get to where they're at because they told themselves they couldn't do it. Right. So uh, the fourth tip is connect and engage unplug at the end of the day. This is so important. First off, if you're not at work, stop working. If you're always and, and stop thinking about work, a lot of uh, my time in, in home-based sales, because um, I used to be a Mary Kay consultant back in the day, um, we were told- Did you have a pink Cadillac? Because no, that's, I, I want pictures that of that. I did not get that far. Ah. Um, I almost got the first car level, but I didn't get to the Cadillac. There's three car levels in Mary Kay, but- um, And Cadillac's one of them, right? Yeah, that's the top one. Only directors can get those. And I hadn't, I wasn't a Whoa. director, but I was close to the- uh, the vibe and uh, almost a director. So I was close a couple of times, but, um, but that's one of the things if they had said to us, if you think you're think if you think you're working all the time, you need to discern, are you thinking about working? Or are you actually working? Cause either way, one is a mental trial. That's uh, it's a waste of time. And the other one is literally wearing yourself out and burning yourself out. And so really um, just disengage yourself from work. You know, you're at home, spend time with the kids, spend time with yourself, spend time with somebody else, not work, leave work alone, leave it at the door. You don't need to take yeah, it. I think, I think this really gets into, uh, you know, being mindful of your, of your surroundings and being engaged with, you know, who you're with. Right. Yeah. Well, like at the dinner table, uh, my role has been the same since cell phones entered into our lives and there's no cell phones at the dinner table. None. And you're, you're expected to be at dinner every night and you're expected to put that phone down and engage with either your food or the people at the table, one of the two. I don't care. Yeah. We, we have the same rule at our house, you know, no phones at the dinner table. And, um, I actually, uh, we had to at some point go into this whole, you know, there's no phones when you're walking across the parking lot, there's no phones (laughs) doing other obvious things because the kids will glue themselves to those screens. Like, you know, like it's, Oh yeah. You know, like, like their life depends on it, you know, it's their drug. Uh, (laughs) It's, 
It is but yeah, so this drug. this says to engage, uh, you know, with who you're with and unplug at the end of every day. Yeah. So are they talking about digitally unplugging or just mentally unplugging? You know, I think both. You know, if if you get your your work emails or have any sort of work applications on your personal device, or you take your your work device home with you put it away in another room and, you know, and I know it's not everybody can do that. There's some projects that seem to mandate a 24 hour lifestyle, you know, with work, but give yourself a couple of hours at least to put that thing out of sight, out of mind and leave it alone and just enjoy what's around you instead of burning yourself out with the same stuff over and over and over again. If, you know, sometimes it's just best to put something on the back burner and let it kind of marinate and simmer for a few minutes um, before you go back and pay any attention to it. Sometimes the, the best results are done that way. Just just marinate on things and go do something else. Yeah, I know some people that have t- totally taken a lot of the applications off their phone just so they can't have access to things mm-hmm. like their work email. Yeah. Um, personally, for me, I have my email on my phone only because um, I spend so much of my day being not in my desk. I, I really use my phone during the day. Uh, but what I've gotten in a habit of doing is at night um, – I really won't check my work email. Uh, and if I do check it, um, I won't respond to people. I may read an email and then put it back on unread, yep. uh, but, I, but I won't respond to it. And right. I'll kind of cruise through the headlines there of the, the emails that came in and see if there's anything that's super hot. I mean, in, in my line of work, I mean, you know, it's not like uh, I, I don't work for, you know, medical or anything like that, where yeah. somebody's life depends on if I answer an email at 1030 at night. Right. So yeah. Um, so I've tried to purposely be um, a little more mindful of of unplugging, um, at least at yeah. my my work email. See, and I'm really I like I said I work from home, but I'm really good at unplugging, especially since I can switch my my personal laptop to my work laptop, and um, I do get my work email on my phone um, primarily so I can see if I have an eight o'clock appointment when I'm getting ready in the morning to kind of motivate myself a little bit more. But right. I'm really good about not checking my email or checking those work. Um, communication apps for anything. And even though people have said, Hey, I tried to contact you. You didn't answer me. It's like, well, but just because I didn't answer you in five minutes on your timeline, doesn't mean I wasn't going to, you got to right. give me some space. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not here to serve, you know, 24 seven. So unplug, let it go for a little bit. It's totally fine. And you'll feel better. You'll feel it's amazing how much de-stressing you can do if you just get away from it for a little bit. Yeah. And then the last one, the fifth tip was question yourself. And so a lot of people don't do this. It's it's not um, it's not human instinct to stop and question ourselves. You know, we we want to follow our gut instinct, but we don't actually you know explore what that means. And so, you know, are you really like I said, you know, a few moments ago, are you really working all day long, or do you think about work all day long when you're at home or when you're trying to enjoy other things? You know, is there are you really balancing things? Um, you know, are, are you really burned out or are you just frustrated? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those get to know yourself reflection type things that more people need to do. Um, there's some people at work that I can come up with off the top of my head that you can tell that all they do is work. They have yeah. nothing else going on, nothing at all. Cause they're answering emails at three o'clock in the morning. They are making phone calls up until five Oh five ex- expecting people to answer when, you know, the building is starting to clear out. Yeah, um, And it's even then, and it's because they have nothing to do at home or they have no habits and you still need to kind of ask yourself, why, why am I doing this? Why am I constant? Why am I burned out? What is causing this? And kind of look deeper into it. Um, it's not very comfortable. None of us like right. to look inside and find the, 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 the problem within, but if the problem's within, then the solution is within as well. 
Yeah, and I've gotten to the point now where uh, you know somebody sends me an email like late on a Saturday night. I'm just like, really? What are you doing? <laughs> what <laughs> you is know? wrong with you? <laughs> I've seen it. Now there are there's unless I know something is coming over the weekend, you know, then I will look to see if I can respond. If I know somebody's working on something specific, and they say, hey, by chance, can you? Then I'll look for that specific email to answer. But otherwise, don't expect me to answer you. Just yeah, eh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> gotta stop the madness stop the madness and stop <laughs> answering or stop sending me emails on a saturday night do something else that's my message to everybody i work with please <laughs> please, please do not send me an email that. at two in the morning on a saturday and don't be jerky and send an email right now just because you're listening to the show and we told you not to send an email right now we may get some hate mail out of this i mean that's okay mail is mail you can ignore mail that. Too. <laughs> no matter, no, 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 no uh, mail is mail. Good mail. <laughs> no, no, no mail is bad mail. Is that is that what I was trying to say? Uh, yeah. In my opinion, I can handle it, but given some of my background, I'm, it's not surprising. <laughs> well, if you send us hate mail, we may we may read it in a in a funny voice on the show. So that that's could, how there's a whole new segment. By all means, send right. away. <laughs> we'll call it hate mail or not hate mail. <laughs> I like it. Yes. It's parent time. Well, Dennis, welcome to another week of parent time. How are you doing tonight? All is well this evening, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing fine. So we thought we'd talk about how much truth you should tell your kids uh, in general about, you know, sort of the adult things that are going on. So either divorce or, you know, stuff that happens in the news. Uh, What's your take on that? Well, uh, the truth is always the best choice. Um, at Dad's Care Too and in our Fountain of Life uh, family uh, discussions, we always talk about learning how to communicate the truth. Uh, there is a way that, I mean, you can tell somebody straight up that uh, this is it and this is blah, 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 and they may or may not receive it. Um, you have to be able to understand your audience, it's just like this podcast. Yeah. You know, there may be some people who may not understand or even agree with what we're saying, but maybe they're not there yet. Maybe they haven't been through single parenthood. Maybe they're too young to uh, understand the dynamics of, of what it's all about. But hopefully as they mature, they can kind of get a better grasp of what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's definitely important to be age appropriate with children because you're going to tell somebody who's, you know, four or five something mm. very differently than if they're a teenager. Right. I Yeah, I agree with that, Chris. In fact, I know that um, my kids taught me to ask them questions when they ask me questions before I just start giving them information. You know, like, I don't, you know, one of the simple ones that they ask, where do babies come from? Well, where do you think babies come from? And what do you know first before I just hand you a bunch of stuff that you're not ready for? And you kind of gauge them that way. I think you kind of, you kind of get a meter reading on them as to what they can and can't accept. Yeah. And I'm with you, Dennis. I I don't think you should necessarily lie to them, but you have to tell them the truth in an age appropriate way. You think Mm -hmm. that is is fair to say, or. Oh, absolutely. Because again, know your audience. They they talk, we talk a lot about, and of course, of course, all of us are very conversive and, you know, we can speak on a lot of levels, but everyone can understand, you know, what you may be talking about. You may be talking over their head. Uh, when I 
speak in uh, old man wisdom kind of stuff. <laughs> Some, sometimes the river's wide and sometimes you can walk across it. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to tell you, when, when, the, when the old pastor told me that, and I had sat him down and asked him what to do in ministry, and he told me that, and I looked at him like, what does that have to do with anything? You know, you're not but, helping. But here I am, 20 years later, and I'm still saying this, <laughs> and and now I understand, and I I say it to other young men, yeah. And, and basically, uh, what he was saying went over my head. Uh, so and, and you have we have to be cognizant of that. So with, as far as our kids go, um, like you were saying earlier, uh, a four or five year old talking about where do babies come from or or where's my mom or where's my dad uh why am i not seeing them those touchy situations uh maybe the dad is in prison maybe the mom is out uh, on drugs or something like that mm -hmm. why isn't she here with us how do you how do you talk to them about that without because they may not understand the effects of drug abuse or they may not as understand the uh, circumstances around incarceration. Well, I, you know. think you, I think you bring up a good point about that, Dennis, is that there are some ugly truths that um, you need to delicately relate to kids without that internal emotion you have. So you need to go at it a logical way, not the emotional way, because some of those situations can be pretty personal to a, a, per, you know, to a parent who's trying to tackle the single parenting thing on their own. And you, you know, you do want to give kids the truth and, and the truth that they can accept and understand, but without your own personal opinion shoved into it. To That way you, you give them the chance to learn and figure out and kind of grow and develop mentally as best they can with the truth. Yeah, certainly when you're dealing with another parent, you know, if a parent's absent or, you know, if you're dealing with a divorce situation, they're not seeing the other parent as much as, as they used to. Uh, when the parents were married, I mean, I, I think you have to be cognizant of uh, the child's feelings too, because they're going to, uh, children are smart and they're, they're going to perceive things. And if you don't be honest with them or tell them the truth, they're going to, you know, they're going to fill in the blanks, I mm -hmm. think. And so uh, you need to be cognizant of their, of their feelings and not, you know, bad mouth the other parent because they still have a love for that parent, you know, even yeah. though they might not be great or uh, like you said, Dennis, maybe they're, they're off doing things they shouldn't be doing, but um Certainly, you have to be, I think, mindful of, of their emotions and, and what stage they're at. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and when those conversations come up, uh, that's where uh, a parent has to really uh, navigate that conversation so that it doesn't, go, it doesn't uh, become subjective but remains objective. Yeah. Stay, staying on on point with the with the um, with, with what you're trying to uh, uh, the lessons that you're trying to teach the uh, uh, how do we navigate uh, not having uh, the other parent there not uh, obviously not bad mouthing respecting that because uh, when the Bible says that a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways, when children grow up and they're being forced to be double-minded, then they're always looking back and forth and they're not stable a lot in their thinking. Yeah. And so that's how they're going to learn to navigate life just by, you know, not being stable or not being sure 
uh, of themselves or where their support systems are or what have you. So uh, I think parents really need to learn how to communicate and learn how to keep that conversation um, mm-hmm. on point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let, let's put it in context. I mean, you know, right now we're recording this. We're in the middle of the COVID pandemic. So um, what are you guys telling your kids about about COVID? Well, I know my kids are old enough to watch, uh, follow social media, and so they're following it. But they've also been taught throughout their time with me that there's always more than one side to the story, no matter which side you think you see. Just as, you know, I think Dennis said earlier, there's some things that you don't see. Um, and so I, I just remind my kids that think for yourself, just because somebody you know and trusted posted something, you fact check it, look into it, or ignore it and go back to it later when you have an opportunity. Yeah, um, that's wise advice. Um, for me, I'm thankful that, you know, my kids are uh, grown and so they understand it as adults. But my grandkids, uh, when when we have, you know, uh, uh, hand wipes and masks and so forth, I uh, approach them the same way uh, as I do with seat belts, you know, because granddad wants you to be safe. Right. Grand, granddad, granddad puts on his uh, seatbelt because I want to be safe for you. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm going to do what I can to make sure that I'm safe. Yeah. And so the 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 different um, protocols that are out there. Well, let's wash our hands. Let's you know, you know, let's wash our hands frequently. You know, and, and that's something that we we've always taught because, you know, my mom and them taught us. Look, boy, you better wash your hands when you come out of there. You better <laughs> wash your hands before you get yeah. some food out of my refrigerator. You better wash your hands before you get a clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hand washing, yeah. you know, my yeah. mama said that. So I don't need the government to <laughs> tell me funny. to wash my hands. But, <laughs> That's basic home training. Home training. And at home, you were worried mama was going to come around the corner and catch you not washing your hands, right? That was the. Put you in the refrigerator without your hands. Oh, Lord. Lord. What about you, Chris? What are you telling your kids? Uh, You know, so my kids are 11 and and 14. So they're kind of at that kind of uh, teetering age where they're getting a little bit from media. Uh, and they're getting a little bit from, from social media and their friends, but they're really not totally immersed in it yet. And, um, you know, and they're, they're basically like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a disease and nobody wants to get sick. So we're, we're kind of doing what we need to do, you know, and they're, they're, uh, my oldest one is starting to form some opinions on, you know, masks are good and masks are bad. So we've had some interesting conversations about that, but, um, you know, I always try and, uh, instill in them the, the ability to critically think. Um, you know, so I, I want to say, you know, hey, well, there's this way to look at it and there's this way to look at yeah. it. And, yeah. you know, you need to form your own opinion. And so I, I like to teach my kids how to critically think. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I have tried to tell them, you know, the truth. And, um, you know, but obviously when it comes to some sensitive matters around the divorce and things like that, you could just I, I think there's a lot of times you just say, well, I, I really can't go into detail about that. And. Um, you know, and, and just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. Well, that's really, I mean, I, I think it's all been really good conversation and definitely gives our parents out there who are, you know, our professional parents and our stay at home parents, something to think about and, um, kind of move forward with if they were struggling with, you know, what's, what's okay and what's not okay. And so I think it's been a, I think it's been a really good conversation about it. Let me, let me add this as I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, cause it is a, a great conversation. Um, uh, very, uh, very necessary, uh, 
you know, part of the uh, the overall. I, I believe that we, we need to always reference and frame our conversations with the big picture. That, yeah, great uh, point. That, you know, when I was uh, sharing with even my sons and daughters, I'm like, okay, so we've had um, viruses, we've had uh, diseases, you know, in, in the past historically, and, and, uh, and, and the root of that is because we live in a world that has uh, so many different things that uh, taint our environment and uh, and have come upon us because of the weakening of our systems, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so when I share with them the big picture, then it doesn't make it seem so daunting because for everything, there's a season. And just like Ebola, uh, AIDS, whatever, all of the rest of the uh, flus that we've had and, and things that we've had in the past, this too is going to maybe not go away, but dissipate. And so we've got to constantly be aware of that these things are going to occur. So what we're doing now, maybe not as much the um, the masks and so forth, but we always have to be careful to take care of our bodies, to be healthy, to be uh, wise about how we live, we just can't live any kind of way. Uh, we have to be careful about uh, our health, um, keeping good hygiene and so forth. So when you, when I think about how to uh, allay their fears and to get them to understand, it's give them the big picture and then bring it down into how we can conduct ourselves so that the likelihood of getting it or contracting any uh, viruses or illnesses are minimized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, great, great advice. Yeah. Well, this is, I think, it's been a really great conversation. We've covered a, a lot in a little bit of time. We just thank you for being with us, Dennis. It's always good to have you on the show. I appreciate you guys. You're doing a great work. We've got so much more to talk about. And you know, you know, you can always count on me to give you a word. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what old dudes do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> Welcome to Media Madness. You've got a book on here. Uh, thank you for arguing uh, what Aristotle, Lincoln, and Homer Simpson uh, Simpson <laughs> can teach us about the art of persuasion. Yes, I love this book. I read this book during my undergrad, and that's uh, my undergrad. And actually, my, my undergrad and my master's are both in organizational leadership. Um, my undergrads did a lot of focus on transformational change. And so this book, um, because that transformational change and change management takes a lot of influence, which is relationship-based influence. And so this mm -hmm. book was so much fun to read. Um, it's, you know, it's about a half inch or so thick. Um, but just think of the title. Thank you for arguing. Who thanks you for arguing? For one, so the title alone should attract well, for, you. Well, first, I'm questioning your degree now, right? Because they're <laughs> using Homer Simpson as a uh, as a reference piece here. It's at well, and they go into why they bring each one of these guys is looked at in the book, which is so funny because you can relate. You know about these guys. They're not these, you know, philosophers or people you have no clue of. They are people that you've read about somewhere, had some some sort of. Um, engagement with throughout your life. And so this book literally teaches you how to argue, which I thought this was so relevant in today's um, social trends and social fashions, so to speak, that mm -hmm. are occurring. Because there's a lot of emotion that's coming out. 
And it's easy to get on that emotional roller coaster with somebody and go for the ride of your life only to see it end, you know, kind of crash and burn because there's no factual information behind some of the emotional platforms people are working from. Right. Uh, so this book teaches you how to separate the emotions and then find the fact and the logic to your argument. And not only that, it goes a step further and it teaches you how to learn your, your, the person you're arguing with, mm-hmm. how to, how to learn to, how to influence them. So you take okay. their argument, you figure out what their platform is, what their argument, what their stance is, and then you learn how to use that basically against them to empower your point. So a good example is like, you know, Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro and all these people, they don't just come off with, this is why my case is worthwhile. They also go into, here's some information from both sides. And this is why I side on this side. So they hit it from two heads and tell you why they, they go to the side of the line that they do. And I thought that was brilliant. And, and, you know, because it makes you listen to your party, to the person you're debating with or arguing with. Mm-hmm. You got to find an understanding with them, whether they know you're doing it or not. And cops are taught to do this too, believe it or not. And I know that because my first husband went through that whole academy thing and he brought this stuff home. And then once you gain an understanding and you figure out where you're at on your argument, then you know how to win the argument. And that's exactly what this book is about. It actually mentions Obama in the book as being a great rhetorician. That's why people love to listen to him. He was, I don't, he's, I'm not a fan, but I did like to hear him speak because he was easy to listen to. I'm a Trump supporter, but man, I hate it when he talks. Oh my gosh. He's so We're going to have the greatest ever. <laughs> They're so beautiful. Those it's, are the best people. It's so wonderful. It's like, please, yeah. please somebody take away his phone and his microphone, please. That'd be great. So this book gets me excited. I think anybody who's watching all of these debates and back and forths and tug of war, verbal matches need to read this book to say, oh, everybody's dumb about this. There's <laughs> nobody has it figured out. Like why was it this, this should be high school reading or even middle school reading. Honestly, um, this is the book that changed my parenting too. Cause I taught my kids how to argue, which some days I'd like to smack myself for. Did you regret that? A little totally. bit. Because there's, there's been times when <laughs> I've told my kids, you know, if I say no, but you've got a good argument, present your argument, but it better be good. And if it's good, then we've got something to talk about. It doesn't mean you're going to get your way. So right. I've taught them how to argue as well. And there's been times like my son wanted to dye his hair blue a couple of years ago. And I thought, well, why? He's like, well, you dye your hair. I'm like, but that's me. And I dye my hair in what appears to be a semi-natural looking color. It's not outrageous and it's not getting a bunch of attention. Why do you want to dye your hair blue? He's like, because it's cool. I'm like, well, that doesn't, it's not an argument. That's a feeling. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Ugh. and he True. knew it. So he went back and he looked and he reflected. And he thought, I can't figure out a logical means to dye my hair. I just want to dye my hair because my best friend is dyeing his hair. Oh, there it is. That's not going to hold water. I get where you're coming from. And I'm glad you found the reason. And the answer is still no. He's like, well, why can't I? Well, it's my money you're dyeing your hair with. So now we're going to the opening of the Smurfs movie. (laughs) Also wouldn't fly in my book, but that's, that's what this book is great for. So it teaches respectable arguing methods and to win your argument, teach you literally how to win. So it's, it's awesome. Love it. To highly recommend it. In fact, I'm going to be reading it again. Fantastic. Yeah. That yeah. sounds like uh, something that a lot of people could use these days is right. how to have a decent argument without, you know, delving into personal attacks uh, just to try and get your way. Right. Or, that's, if you that's don't agree with me, or if you don't agree with me, unfriend me. You're nope. bad. No yeah. problem. <laughs> the whole, <laughs> you the whole if you me? don't, 
Yeah, unfriend me. Unfriend me if you don't agree. I'm like that. That's kind of real closed ended relation. If that's all the better our relationship is, I whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who are you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your turn. What do you got? I've got the Good Place, which is a uh, series on, uh, I believe NBC. it's NBC. Yeah, I think it and, is. And uh, it's what four seasons long? I think I think they did four four think seasons. Me. So in our previous conversations, I think you said four, and I barely. I just started watching this off of your recommendation. Oh my gosh, it's funny. Oh <laughs> so, my so recommendation to the listeners out there, if you have not seen The Good Place, um, first of all, you need to set aside a weekend because you're, you're going to need some time. Uh, and you're going to want to watch the first two seasons kind of back to back. Because you'll get to the end of season one and you're like, I have to keep going. <laughs> I can't stop here. What happened? The, the cliffhanger is just too big to not, not watch ahead. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's a fantastic show. Uh, it's got a really good cast in it. I mean, it's got, uh, you know, Kristen Bell in it. Yeah. Um, it's got a couple of no name, uh, or shouldn't say no name, but, but folks that, that aren't really well recognized. They've had some, some small roles, but, uh, I think they're going to get in it from the old cheer show, which is a strange role to see him because he's always played sex symbol roles. So to see him in this role is hilarious. Well, and what's fun too is there's a whole podcast that you can get on the on the iTunes or, or wherever you get your podcast kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, you can go listen to the podcast and they they talk the behind the scenes of each show and kind of how they made it and things that happened behind the scenes and you know sort of plot twists and that sort of thing. And so Ted at one of those uh, one of those episodes, uh, Ted was on there because they have a different cast member really on every every episode of the podcast and on his, on one of the episodes he was on, he talked about, yeah, how this really wasn't a traditional role for him and he wasn't sure how it was going to fit. And, you know, he's really different from all the other cast members. And um, I mean, is it a comedy? Is it serious? I mean, you know, is it going to, he was, he was, he was awesome. He, he was perfect. I I, I can't think of anything else that anybody else that should have played him. No, I, you know, and I've been a big fan of Ted Danson because of these sexy roles that he's always played. And because he, he was kind of like that womanizer role, but it was that lovable, I almost like the Charlie Sheen type. Without like, that like, you got a, like you got a pass for it just because you're like, ah, eh, you <laughs> I, know, he's, he's I don't cool. do the pass thing, but I he's awesome. I would really enjoy a cup of coffee or a, a stiff drink with him or something. So I just think he'd be fun to talk to. But yeah. he played this oh, yeah. role so well. And you kind of saw a little bit of that, that little bit of charm from his old, um, his old um, characters that he's done. And it just made you love this character that much more. And it really made you kind of just be on his side, you know, and I loved it. He was awesome. And Kristen's bell character. If you, I remember. The oh, she's first- awesome. She's- I mean, I, I watch just about anything she's in. I mean, oh, she's great. Well, my, uh, there was one day that in my previous employer, this, this is when the show was actually on, um, and my friend said something, and because you, you shouldn't curse at work, right? That's not okay. And she Mother said, forking shirt balls. Yes. And I, I was, I'm going to try and say it, but it's like, oh, I'm going to screw it up if I try to. She said something, and then I said something. She's like, forking shirt balls. I'm like, what? You normally curse. What is wrong with you? Like, are you okay? She's like, yeah. Oh, obviously, you've not seen The Good Place. I'm like, I, uh, nor do I live Judgmental. Oh <laughs> and she would do that to me all the time because I, I was, I pulled a, a jerkwad move on her once. And we were talking about some movie or something rather. And 
She's like, have you seen an XYZ movie? I'm like, no. She goes, you haven't seen that movie. I'm like, that's why it said I haven't seen that movie. Duh. And she's like, just said that. And she's the one that's like, words mean something, which is why I threw that back at her on purpose. She's like, oh, what? So anytime she gets a chance to throw things back at me, then the whole judgmental tone comes out. I'm like, I deserve that. That's fine. That's but for yeah, for those who haven't seen the show, that the the, uh, the premise is yeah, you know, the the characters in it have died and they've they've gone to the good place. And uh, I don't, I don't really think we can say much more without spoiling it. But yeah, you know, Kristen Bell, uh, you know, on Earth, she knew she wasn't a very good person, and then she finds out she went to the good place, and she's like, "What did she call herself?" I think she said she was a trash bag from Arizona or something like that. You know, something I didn't Uh, know. (laughs) But then they have these flashbacks to their time on Earth, and uh, and so anyhow, I won't, I won't give any of the huge plot twist away because you you just have to go watch it but one of the things i really enjoy about this show is that uh it is rooted in some uh actual you know like uh, intellectual things right so they get they get talking about morality and and they talk about you know (laughs) ethics and and you know they they go on you know um they talk about real people in these fields Mm -hmm. you know and uh and one of the people that's in the good place is a uh, morality. Is he? Is he was a morality professor? What was Chidi? I can't remember. Um, was ethics or? Well, he was teaching ethics. He was. Oh my gosh, I don't remember what his role was, but he knew he was some sort of teacher or something because he could teach, and he was teaching um, Kristen Bell's character about ethics because she was such a lousy human right. being. Right. She and, uh, and she on Earth, good. Uh, Chidi could not make a decision to save his life. So he would drive everybody nuts about, well, you know, is this good? Is this ethical? Like, you know, if I buy this, is it going to hurt somebody else? Is it, he overthought everything. everything. It's great. It's awesome. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's really great cast. The the big part that we're not telling you is the number one reason why, why you have to see it's important that they put the unethical person into the, the absolute ultimate ethical place there is something specific that happens um, because the place knows, but the people don't. And it's very, that one little tidbit makes the, makes the show. And it's so, so hilarious. Gotta, gotta watch it. Cause I know I'm bursting at the seams. I just want to spoil it, but that wouldn't be. Yeah, it, it is fantastic. And then, you know, they get, uh, um, you know, just the, in, the intellectual part of this, you know, kind of mixed up with the comedy and it, it's just <laughs> a great show. And uh, I, I really enjoyed watching it. Season three, three and four, Eh, okay. I mean, yeah. they're entertaining, but they're not as good as the first two seasons. Uh, but certainly, uh, if you like any of these characters or, uh, you know, just want something fun to watch, this is, mm-hmm. this is a fantastic show. It's great. Absolutely great. Well, what do you think? Should we wrap this puppy up? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we're both, uh, we're, we're, we ran our COVID brains out on this one. We're <laughs> burned out. <laughs> we ain't got nothing left to give folks. We're, we're, we're done. <laughs> we, we are tapped out. We are, but we thank you for listening to this episode of the Viz and Mayhem podcast. If you like the episode, um, show us a little bit of love by posting a review on iTunes and don't forget to send us a few bucks on Patreon or PayPal. We'll love you forever because putting this whole podcast thing together and having guests, it, it's not free. It's not, but we, so help. Um, get the show notes for this episode uh, by going over to the Biz and Mayhem website, and that's bizandmayhem.com, B-I-Z-A-N-D-M-A-Y-H-E-M.com, and look for season one, episode eight. You can subscribe um, to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, have fun in the mayhem. Bye.